0: So I'm going to try to multitask a little. Uh, one of the things, and if anybody knows, I'd appreciate knowing. I originally come from Western New York, uh, just south of Buffalo, and rumor has it these pews and maybe even the communion rail, I'm not sure, come from a church that was closed in Buffalo. So if anybody knows the history, let me know. Uh, I'm going to try again to talk a little bit about Marino as our society, and then talk a little bit about my own Experience, especially on this Trinity Sunday, my experience of Christian faith, Catholic faith, Eastern Catholic faith, in Egypt. Mary Null, um you may or may not know, has a North Carolina North Carolina root. One of our two co-founders, and we were founded back in 1911, after the Vatican said the Church in America is no longer a mission-receiving church; it's a mission should be a mission-sending church. So three years after that statement, the U.S. bishops along with James Anthony Walsh of Boston Mass and Thomas Frederick Price, who was the first native-born North Carolinian Catholic priest who used to circuit right around the state serving what few Christian Catholics existed in this state 125 years ago. Um, and for what it's worth, the Raleigh Diocese is promoting his canonization. Anyway... Uh, the U.S. bishops and James Anthony Walsh, Thomas Frederick Price got together at the Eucharistic Conference in uh, Montreal, and they said it's now time for the United States Church to have a mission-sending church to do for others what had been done for us. So on the 29th of June, 1911, which will be 108 years ago, I think next week sometime, we were founded as the Catholic Foreign Mission Society of America, and originally we were founded to go just to Asia. China, Korea, Philippines, and Japan, and then the Second World War came along, and we got bounced out of those countries, so we started going into Latin America and Asia, and over this century, a little more than a century, we've worked in about 30 different countries, but like so many other groups, we're not exactly flooded with new vocations, and so those 30 countries in three continents have become 20 countries in three continents, but we still do the best we can with what we have. But I'm a headhunter for Jesus, so if you think you have a location, be careful, because I'll take your firstborn. But the important thing is when I just got back from Egypt, uh, because I've been assigned to do this work for a while, but I go go back to Egypt every year, and I was just there for meetings as well, and we've moved our skill and assisted care facility into our big building. And the amazing thing when we have mass together now, we have priests that represent 3,000 years of overseas mission work representing you, the American Catholic Church and the Catholic Church at large in overseas countries, either evangelizing or just supporting the Christian communities that already exist there. I myself, when I went to Egypt And in a former life, I actually worked after my Air Force time in university in the Middle East um, in hotel management. But when I got assigned to Egypt, one of the things when you go there, you don't go there to bring Jesus. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph lived there. But as you might know, as one of the oldest Christian communities in the world, along with in Syria, Iraq, the Holy Land, it's a church under siege to some degree. And this feast is kind of the pinpoint of where it all lands. The worst sin you can commit in Islam is the sin of shirk, which is associating other gods with the true God, the one true God, Ilah al Wahid, and worshiping statues and icons and figures. And we got stations and stained glass windows and statues. And so, Christians, because they're seen very often by Muslims as polytheists, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and idol worshippers, were referred to as mushrikun, which is the plural of mushrik. And it's used very often, and it's a way of discriminating. In most cases in the Middle East, it's discrimination against Christian minorities, it's not persecution but also we have the reality of some persecution. I've had parishioners whose mothers and sisters have been killed in church bombings and people have been shot, things like that. But I wanna just talk about, because when you go there, you go there basically to support Christians staying Christian and Christians staying in the Middle East. Because on this Father's Day, I also think about, I was just on the phone, with the pastor of the Coptic Rite Catholic Parish in Nashville, Tennessee, who was one of my former seminarians. And for what it's worth, there are 10 Coptic Orthodox parishes in Nashville, Tennessee, because there are so many Egyptian Christians living in that area, basically working in hotels. I was just on the phone with the Coptic Catholic pastor, another one of my former sons, seminarians, in Toronto. And there's even a Coptic Orthodox cathedral, along with the smaller Coptic Catholic parish in Toronto. And many of us don't realize, and I didn't really at first, that there are 23 liturgical churches in union with Rome, along with their much larger Orthodox counterparts. But the big thing is many of them are from where Jesus lived and the early apostles traveled to in countries where now there are minorities, discriminated against minorities, and occasionally persecuted minorities. And they often feel abandoned and forgotten by us. But one of the things, and I kind of like to go, because having been part of formation education for 10 out of my 20 years at St. Leo the Great Coptic Rite Catholic Seminary, I was part of the, the formation education of at least 100 seminarians, many of whom I visit every year, give them some moral support, give them a chance to talk to me, confess to me, complain about their bishops, Occasionally, I give them some money for their projects. And the beauty of it is, you know, some of the ones, I mean, two of my guys now, one's the Bishop of Minya, one's the Bishop of Luxor. One, I get to see on television from time to time because on the web or YouTube at least, because under Benedict, he was his Italian Arabic translator and under Francis, he's that, plus his second personal secretary. So whenever Francis meets, A dignitary or like when he went to the United Emirates or Morocco and in the Emirates was phenomenal because I worked there in hotels for a year, a year and a half. Because at the mass they had at Sheikh Zayed Stadium in Abu Dhabi, there were 130,000 Christians, Catholic ones, who attended the mass in an open stadium and went to mass and communion in an Arab Muslim country. I can remember when Pope Francis, I'm sorry, Pope John Paul came to Egypt in February of 19, let's see, February of 2000. It was the centen- the millennium. And I had this, Coptic. Or he was actually a Latin Rite Catholic, which are very few out of the seven rites we have in Egypt. And Amir walks up to me and he says, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. This is the first time I can say I'm proud to be a Catholic and a Christian all at the same time because I'm looked at as a mushrik by the Muslims and I'm looked at as a heretic by the Orthodox. And he truly was excited. But you know, not just Ioannis Lassi who works in Rome with the Pope and travels with him, but guys like Hannibalus, John Paul, I just was on the phone with him day before yesterday, who's built a pastoral center, which is open not only to Coptic rite Catholics but to the Orthodox as well as the Muslim community. And every night, just about, and sometimes in the afternoon, there are Muslims who come to visit. There are police who normally you're afraid of who come up and we sit there and have tea and talk. There's Bullis Nasif, another one of my sons, who's been in prison ministry and now Abu Khair, who's another priest who was one of my spiritual directees and sons and they got their congregations both involved in prison ministry. But the uniqueness, and Bullis started this almost 20 years ago, because he was one of my earlier seminarians. He does it in conjunction with two Muslim sheikhs, Abdul Rahman and Mahmoud Goma, and the congregations from their mosque, and you won't see this kind of stuff on CNN or Fox, but they do it as a team ministry. And over the years, they've become friends and they celebrate each other's religious holidays. And then when they, and, and Minya, which is in central Egypt, is about three hours south of Cairo, is one of the hotbeds of sectarian religious violence. There have been buses on pilgrimages to desert monasteries where families have been shot and killed by extremists, not good Muslims, by extremists. And I hate to even use the word religious extremist because there's nothing religious about extremism, whether it's Christian, Muslim, Jewish, Hindu, Buddhist, whatever. But they'll march in the streets, arm in arm, Muslims and Christians, and sometimes uh hold banners that go, I'm a Muslim, I'm a Masihi, I'm a Musri, I am Muslim, I am Christian, I am Egyptian. And they calm things down a little bit. You know, as, as a veteran of back between 68 and 72. And I I was in Jerusalem during the first Gulf War and I have been Hertz Renner Priest for the peacekeeping forces in Sinai some. I said this to to Deacon James. I said, you know, in all my travels, what I've discovered is the world's become too small to be small-minded. We have to be open to the possibilities of working out arrangements where we can truly live in peace. Because if we don't, first of all, things are becoming a little bit too urgent on so many different levels. And we have to remember that Jesus, what did he say? I was actually called back into the Christian community because in the Air Force and through college I stopped going to church. And because I was a labor relations major at University of Buffalo and was mentored by my dad who owned a business, my Muslim and Hindu employees in the Emirates along with my Christian employees, said, Mr. May, you're one of the best Christians from the West we've ever met. And I said, I don't go to church. Well, we don't know about that. All we know is your prophet Jesus taught his disciples that they were supposed to love love one another and even their enemies, and you're one of the first Christians we've met that acts like he cares for, respects, and loves us. You're a good Christian. And then it was actually a Palestinian Lutheran from Bethlehem who was an engineer in the Emirates said, Doug, have you ever thought about ministry? And then it was the Indian Catholics who said, hey, Father, would you like to go to Mass with us some? And I kept saying no. And then Christmas Eve, they finally got me to go. Not only did I rejoin the Catholic Church, but what you see is what you get, for better or for worse. But, you know, as I close, I just want to say, first of all, I hit the big 7-0 last Sunday, and I celebrated 33 years of priesthood the two days before. And I still believe this is not such a bad job. And I think I mentioned in the last Mass, I have three quotes, one's from Hebrews 11, and it talks about faith as confident assurance about what we hope for and conviction about what we do not see. And it talks about the faith of Abraham. A little further down, it says, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called, he went forth, no, no, no moreover not knowing where he was going. And I've been wandering around for a long time, but enjoying every minute of it. And this is the other two quotes. We old types probably maybe remember Auntie Maine, the play in the movie. But when she said, because she lived on the edge, at least in the play, life is a banquet and most poor suckers are starving to death. We should become gluttons on life, but we have to remember that we don't go for the junk food. We go for the good stuff. And part of it's what we're doing here. And then the last one was actually a quote that was quoted from Maya Angelou by Margaret Hassan, who after the 2003 war in Iraq, she worked for CARE, and the head of CARE of the Middle East was one of my parishioners. And when they said, you shouldn't go back to Iraq, she said, I have to go back. And for what it's worth, they never did find her body, and they did a memorial mass for her at Westminster Cathedral. But this is what she said before she went back, quoting Maya Angelou. The purpose of life is not to survive, but to thrive with passion, compassion, wit, and style. And she did it. And I think that's important because so often we just kind of ho-hum through our lives. And so at the end, I'm just gonna make one last plug and then I'll get down with the, the liturgy. But this magazine, when we were kids, was showing up in Catholic schools and in our homes and for what it's worth, it's still not only in hard copy like this, but it's also on the internet. And I've got a ton of them on that table in the back. But the important thing is that there are opportunities and invitations for you to the website and through getting to know us through the magazine of being a missionary priest. We still should be about mission. Being a missionary sister, a priest, a brother, a sister, a lay missioner, a long, short-term volunteer, or just kind of seeing how some of the rest of the world lives and being a longer, short-term volunteer or being on a mission exposure trip. Because the important thing is we're supposed to be about mission, going out, reaching out. And so often we just kind of circle the wagons and almost implode on ourselves. And that's not what church is about. That's not what faith is about. That's not what Jesus was about especially when he, on Pentecost, said, Receive the Holy Spirit as the Father has sent me, I send you. We're all sent, and God bless us all on our journey.